KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM. I'm Mark Molyneux. This is the Henry George Program. This is a show all about land use, how it affects the powerless, and the political systems that do it. To the program, we are talking with Alex Nunez, housing equity advocate for Cafecito and the Housing Justice Coalition, to talk about recent actions in Mountain View bans on RV dwellers, and also possibilities of anti-displacement programs here in Mountain View. So let's uh, get into things. So welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so on this today, I think uh, a lot of stuff we kind of want to talk about, all about things happening over in uh, in Mountain View, uh, from the RV uh Bands that have been going on to general anti-eviction uh, stuff that's 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 underway, but I guess let's lead with the RV because a lot of people are talking about this. Uh, we're we're recording right now in just a uh, early part of October and uh, September twenty fourth is when they passed uh, two ordinances to uh, to basically stop uh, you know stop RVs from 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 parking really in 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 all parts of, of of mountain view so you know what what's what do you think is is the most important thing people should know about how this came to be and what's kind of behind this this you know, series of ordinances mm-hmm. uh well that's a very good question I think in terms of how this came to be uh you know I, there could be two uh responses based on how you look at things uh, on the one hand um, someone like myself might say uh, this came to be after decades of uh, stalled housing production uh, all across the region and state uh, that created a situation where people resorted to living in vehicles. Um, other people, uh, primarily those who oppose the presence of vehicle residents on city streets, might say that the problem really started around you know six, uh, eight years ago when the the visibility of the uh, RVs uh, just started to really shoot up. Um, and so, you know, I would definitely say once it became more visible around that time, people started to, um, to you know, complain more and more. Uh, what started off as a trickle eventually became a pretty large snowball uh, that, you know, a lot of people uh, would attribute as a determining factor for some of the incumbent turnover in uh, the last election cycle in Mountain View uh, during the 20, uh, 2018 elections uh, and you know, might attribute uh, as the driving uh, factor, if you will, behind the, the decision to ban RVs now before any further elections come up. Yeah, Mountain View is such an interesting place compared to other parts of the peninsula. I mean, my, my usual cynical framing of how things work here is cities are effectively run like as stakeholders who are the homeowners who who have a stake in 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 the in the city and they tend to you know dictate what they want mountain view has more renters and they have had actual representation in in council but we saw in this last cycle a big blowback and uh some some of the you know the bigger voices against this this rv uh frame it all as a safety issue which certainly has the implication that Things were fine, and then something unsafe happened, and we just need to fix this, mm-hmm. and then everything will be. And it's, I find it completely maddening a way to, to frame this that absolves the fact that these are residents of the city, that absolves the fact that there is a 
responsibility for the city's like decisions that have driven people through unaffordability to to measures like this. Yeah, and and I think you touch on a lot of uh, good points there. Um, primarily, I'll start by saying that yeah, Mountain View definitely is a very interesting uh, city. I've heard uh, numbers um, ranging from 57 to 60 percent of the population are renters uh, in Mountain View. Um, now, conversely, uh, when we look at the turnout for, uh, you know, who votes, um, historically speaking, it's been the homeowners and, uh, you know, districts, uh, you know, heavy in single family homes that do come out uh, and uh, vote more frequently. Uh, so I think what we're, um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, how uh, well versed uh, the listeners or yourself might be in terms of the Mountain View politics. I wouldn't expect, um, you know, people to be unless they live there. Um, but for for just a quick back uh, backdrop on that, in 2015, uh, the organization that I'm now part of, Cafecito, uh, you know, a primarily uh, you know Catholic uh, faith based organization, uh, just started to uh, have sporadic uh, meetings in, in in community parks. You know, where uh, first two people showed up, then the next week 15 came, then the next week 30, 40. It eventually spilled over into a situation where hundreds of people uh, attended a random council meeting and during the public comment for non-agendized item just, um, you know, spoke passionately about the problem with increasing rents. And, uh, you know, despite, uh, you know, numerous residents asking for some kind of control on uh, you know, the economic viability of sustaining residency in Mountain View, um, the community decided to do something about it on their own and, you know, initiated a, a ballot measure that eventually succeeded in, in, in winning uh, both rent stabilization and just cause uh, eviction protections in, in the city. And so the reason why I bring that up is because despite, uh, you know, the 57 to 60 percent uh, renter population uh, percentage in Mountain View, uh, the measure only squeaked by, I believe it was 52 to 48 percent of the total vote. Um, so, A, um, you know, it, it was definitely a win for, for housing and, and or affordable housing and, and, and tenant advocates. But I think it goes to show that even in, in, in situations where, um, you know, we were fortunate, you know, depending on what side you're on, uh, to have this substantial renter population, uh, activating the voters in itself is, is very challenging. Um, and, and that's uh, something that really needs to be thought about moving forward uh, as uh, other lobbyist groups and other members on, on, on council who may not be so uh, you know, uh, amenable to rent control uh, or just cause eviction protections uh, start to uh, come at it and, and try to attack it or possibly even outright repeal it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's very interesting. So much of the way that the conversations are framed are what's normal and what's a deviation. And you hear these people say, we had a normal situation, then we had rent control, and then things started going a bit odd. It's like, it's so weird to say that the old situation was basically normative Mm -hmm. and rent control can be blamed for anything as opposed to saying that the idea that, you know, that a landlord can evict you for no reason is somehow normal. Right. <laughs> like, I mean, you could say that, it, you know, common sense would dictate that if you get evicted, there probably should be at least some grounds, but that's the deviation. Right. <laughs> you talk about, like, the land values go up and landlords who are protected by Prop 13, mm-hmm. why should they get more, uh, more rent out of people? There's really no 
coherent reason, but that's the status quo Mm -hmm. before this. So it's like, okay, it's a deviation if you do anything to regulate uh, prices set. It's so odd. And I mean, you get some sort of, uh, uh, you know, uh, market fundamentalist, you know, kind of ideas and like, oh, it's 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 a distortion. But I mean, it's I think the peninsula is a great thing to look at for anybody who defers the market here. There has been plenty of evictions and mm-hmm. and free reign given to landlords for decades mm-hmm. and we have not gotten the production from it right so stop blaming stop blaming the ostensible uh you know uh you know rank uh you know tenant tenant rights is is a reason for this exactly and and actually i, I really appreciate that point that you make because um y- you know we have this whole uh situation where people come out in arms against rent control um, one of the things that or concepts I'd, I'd definitely like to, uh, you know, uh, propagate and, and promote is this idea of property value control. Um, and as you were just noticing, uh, you know, with economics, uh, you know, if it's very simple, right? If you restrict artificially uh, the supply of something, then the price for that thing is going to go up. And, you know, I, I don't believe that there was ever this, you know, um, you know, like conspiracy or this agreement between, you know, local governments for years to restrict the supply of housing. But I do believe that, you know, the numbers will show and, and based on the research I've done, um, I think uh, Edward Glazer uh, and Joseph Giorko, I hope I'm not butchering those names, uh, out of um, Penn, uh, UPenn, they, they found that, you know, from the 1960s uh, up until about the early to mid 1990s, in a lot of the urban areas, uh, you know, like New York City and San Francisco Bay Area, for instance, um, the issuance of building permits was was actually pretty consistent with the need to build. Um, as the economy grew, the issuance of permits also, uh, you know, correlated in, in response to that. Uh, however, uh, you know, around that mid 90s kind of shift that well just seemingly dried up. You know, it, it, these building permits uh, just stopped uh, and the demand didn't go away. Uh, so what that says to me, uh, in, in, in my perspective of seeing things, uh, is that, you know, these, um, you know, and not to be all divisive or anything, but, you know, effectively the baby boomer generation, um, you know, did a really good job at, at constructing housing supply uh, for, 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 the, for their cohort. Um, but for, you know, maybe like uh, younger Gen X or millennials, uh, you know, we're kind of getting the short end of the stick when, you know, they've just as, you know, municipalities all around the peninsula. And, and you know, this is a phenomenon that you can find in other metropolitan areas, too, um, you know, where they just stopped approving uh, housing permits. And, you know, that means that their property values go up, my rent goes up, and that's a transfer of my wealth that I could be saving for retirement to have a child, uh, to send that child to college, yeah. uh, and to, you know, create a, a, a better economic situation for, for myself, that's being transferred in value to the homeowners who bought their home in a convenient time and the landlords who are, who I'm paying my rent to. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a strict economic sense, it's very easy to draw the fact that there is a the landed people, the people of the land, uh, uh, get a lot of value, and people who are landless get really, really in a bad spot. And I think on top of it, I think it's worth explicitly talking about. It's not just economic; it's political. And uh, you're talking about the percentages of renters uh, that it takes to get renter protections. Uh, and a lot of tenant groups say, like, that's the single 
biggest factor. If you have more, if you have more tenants, you're going to get more support for protecting renters. If you have less, uh, and of course, it's harder if you move hard more. You are more likely to vote less. It's harder to register, and also a lot of people. If you are, uh, if you're a resident but not a citizen, you're disproportionately likely to be a renter around here. Uh, and you, it's very clear to say, and people say it out loud, the. Uh, the city councils are trying to actually make sure that they make homeownership the normal thing to happen. And they want to make sure renter percentages don't go up because they will lose their political power. Uh, and uh, there, were, I, in Mountain View, when the the uh, uh, the evictions for all the Rock Street uh, people, I've mentioned this before, but I think it's just galling. They were saying, we want to create more ownership housing in, in Mountain View. And in doing this, they're evicting people from relatively affordable rental units and putting in million-dollar townhomes. And this is what they want to see happen. And I think it's very hard to say that it's not just a way of ingraining the homeownership power class in an area like this. I I, I fundamentally uh, agree with that. And, and again, um, you know, I, I would just add that it, it's odd how... I, I, I don't believe that it's anything anyone shook hands on, but somehow, um, yes, the landed class finds a way over uh, you know centuries yeah. uh, to uh, you know uphold and and perpetuate their power. Yeah, I mean, like active conspiracies are fun to think about, but it's actually even more devious that there's kind of this kind of natural uh, <laughs> just kind of things happen to right. uh, to kind of coincide. Uh, so let's talk about the details of this of this RV ban. Um, I mean, it's two different things they're doing ordinances against. One is against bike lanes. One is against narrow streets. Add these together. This is most streets in, in Mountain View. Correct. Uh, and we're talking right now like about 300 people live in cars in, 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 in Mountain View. And of that, 200 more or less are, are RV dwellers. And uh, they are... Tr- I explain to me if you know the details here, but uh, by cl- by declaring a shelter crisis earlier this year, this allowed them to create a safe parking ordinance. Do you know what the details on that are? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in, in in terms of the uh, the shelter crisis, uh, I'll I'll definitely. Uh, just say uh, I, I'm not exactly keen on the details of, of kind of what emergency powers the city is now, uh, you know, imbued with. Um, what I do know relating to the uh, to the shelter crisis declaration is that uh, during the actual vote on the September 24th meeting, uh, there was a push to uh, essentially, you know, I, I would say by the clear minority of uh, council members uh, who were clearly going to lose the vote on on the ban, right? I mean, at this yeah. point in the discussion, there was clearly four votes for some kind of ban. Well, and, and they started with the bike lane ban, and that was unanimous. What Was well, was there any chance anyone's going to vote against it who went against the narrow streets, or is that just a non-starter or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that vote uh, was actually pretty quick compared to the uh, discussion on the narrow streets, and for and for anyone who's listening, um, you know a, a little bit of background there. So, uh, there's uh, two separate ordinances, as as uh, you mentioned, uh, that are comprising the the full ban. Um, the reason why the the bike lane ban, which essentially uh, bans oversized vehicles on any uh, rights of way that have, I, I believe they're called class two bike lanes, uh, where they're like protected by paint or. You know, paint, paint, <laughs> protected if, by paint. If you put a if you put a, a diagonal stripes on it, then somehow it's it your bikes it's a are protected, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> impervious to damage. Um, yeah, so uh, on those bike lanes, um, there's really only one major concentration uh, along Shoreline Boulevard uh, where uh, those RVs are, are, are present. Uh, and I yeah. saw people say about 40 of the 200 uh, RVs were on Shoreline. Right. Right, so um, it, it it is substantial in terms of shoreline is is, is a visible right of way. Um, you know, there's clearly oversized vehicle parking going on, um, but really uh, the majority of, of of the of vehicle dwellers, uh, I, I would say to their credit, you know, they, they find or they look for those hidden pockets in the city where, uh, you know, for for lack of better terms, they won't be uh, you know quote unquote harassing anyone with their presence um, or, or, or or visible blight, um, which is unfortunately what uh, you know several of the opposition uh, speakers uh, mentioned at at that city council. Meeting, but, uh, they, but most people would say like the opposition speakers were in heavy minority, heavy minority, and yet maybe only two. Yeah. You know, there's this psychological, uh, uh, you know, dynamic. I think where uh, people have a good way of tuning out the same exact thing that gets repeated. So you could have 50 people come up and say no ban, no ban, and then that one person who says ban them all. You know, they just stand out so much that they're almost like... That's why I try to, when I, when I, when I speak, I came up for the safe parking. I, I actually didn't speak on, on the RV ban because uh, I, was, I was tied up. But, I mean, I try to, like, try to say something uh, different. And my thing is, I think that we need to have heavy land reform and make sure that these landless people actually get the land which is now hogged by the, uh, by the homeowners in the area. And that at least pushes the needle in some way. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just saying, I think, uh, I'm not sure we're ready for that yet, mm-hmm. but I want to at least... Make sure there's a diversity of extreme extreme actions that we could all take if we really wanted to. I I think I think you're totally right, and and that that's a very interesting point that you bring up uh, in light of of this last week's uh, city council meeting, and and I'll definitely touch into that. I just want to make sure I uh, complete yeah, the description absolutely. of of the, of the second ordinance, um, the narrow streets ordinance, uh, essentially prohibits the parking of oversized vehicles on any. A street that is 40 feet wide, uh, up to um, yeah or less, uh, and really what it's interesting because the definition of a narrow street uh, is already defined in the city code, uh, and and this was cited by uh, I forget if it was the ACLU or the law some law foundation, um, some you know really good lawyers out there who are uh, trying to um, you know put some legal muster behind a lawsuit. Uh, against this ban, uh, have looked at the city code and 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 I forget if it was thirty or twenty feet, um, but it was still less than the forty. It's so it's so weird. Like it's like these are the narrow streets, and it's like eighty percent of the streets, which is like it's like the below average. <laughs> almost everyone's below average. It's like no, it's like I think this is a normal street. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> if, if it's like if it captures most of them. Correct. And yeah. and and and. I think that's part of the reason why that arbitrary expansion, yeah, uh, along with you know a, a a bunch of other streets that are so much more narrow that are usually clogged with you know passenger vehicles yeah. or people who live in the area, uh, those are unsafe. Those are extremely unsafe uh, to drive through, yeah, uh, and to bike through. And so you know this 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 safety. Um, you know, uh, discussion. Uh, you know, there's this way where I think sometimes. 
you know, and I think Stephen Colbert will have uh, uh, probably got me cornered on this one. I think he calls it the, the truthiness, right? Where what you feel is yeah. true as opposed to what really is. Uh, the Mountain View Voice, you know, our local paper, uh, just yesterday released a very good uh, editorial piece on this issue. And they noted that the data does not reflect any increase in the number of vehicle accidents, mm. uh, you know, bicycle uh you know, incidents, pedestrian incidents, there is no increase in these incidents that can be attributed to RVs, yet the uh, language coming from the dais from uh, several of the council members uh, was that they were concerned about Sa- about safety. They just care about safety. So, I mean, I, I saw people push back against this and say, like, and just accused of being bad faith in a very persuasive way, saying that, Part of the reasons that it was a safety issue is because many of the narrow streets don't have a center lane marked. But yet, and, and this could cause weird passing stuff in theory, not really shown in, in evidence, but they're also doing it for streets that have a center lane. So right. that seems like a very weird ground. They yeah. say it's it's dangerous for children because of the height of it, mm-hmm. whereas from a children's perspective, the bumper no different on an SUV. SUVs are incredibly dangerous by that, mm-hmm. and no one's calling for an SUV ban, which, right. personally speaking, I would... <laughs> it's like, I, I, I want to allocate uh, as much of this, this land for the landless as possible, but I have no love for large cars. <laughs> I'm just... Right. Ha- yeah. Uh, and people are also saying uh, that, yeah, I mean, like, these streets that are narrow... It's largely weird passing because of all street parking, and yet they're not looking to ban all street parking. Right. It's just, it's very disingenuous almost on its face. And, and to that point, I want to make sure that I, I kind of help uh, clear some of that and, and then also get into the referendum action on, on why we're going to pursue this. Sure. Um, to, to your point, you know, one of the dangers that I see here, uh, and, and this isn't just applicable in this case, but really I think um, in, in a particular way of doing politics or even being a citizen, being being a, a person that is affected by some kind of political force uh, in the world uh, is that fundamentally, you know, in this case, it this is not about safety. It's not about center lanes. It's not about, you know, any kind of like definitions. It's, it's about how this issue makes people feel. Yeah. And, you know, the people who, you know, uh, you know, some of our, the proponents for this ban on the city council were citing that emailed them and, you know, that comment on our, uh, you know, uh, Mountain View Voice newspaper comment section. You know, fundamentally what they're saying is that people send them angry emails demanding action. Yeah. Even though no harm has come to them necessarily. Yeah. Uh, they, it does not, feel good to them yeah. to see the symptoms of the housing shortage. And so the action that they want is just a ban. And, and let's be clear, like two big questions, safety for whom <laughs> and who are they representing? When you are pushing people who are now in an RV on the street into more and more desperate living situations, that is not safe for these people. Correct. And on top of it, they are people and they're residents of this greater area of the city and are they listening to them as much as they're listening to homeowners i think it's clear based on the rhetoric of at least several of the major council members and really kind of the implicit assumptions of everyone they are not they're they're treating different residents differently it's fundamentally true and only reducing the voice of the voiceless because as you noted you know 70 people 50 people showed up said do not do this yeah 
And in that one unified voice, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And I, before we talk more about the referendum, uh, the same night they're talking about the safe parking program. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Lenny Siegel, friend of the show, mm-hmm. uh, uh, gave a, a very good presentation as part of this, saying this was designed to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things, too, of just saying that we are now creating kind of a pseudo-residency of people who can stay there uh I think now up till 9 a.m. is what they're deciding for this ordinance. So 5 p.m. to 9 a.m., you know, you can temporarily be there overnight uh, for a limited number of spots. You have to clear out. You are contrary to ward. Like, you can't have alcohol. You must be open to inspect. It's all, all this kind of, you know, weird stuff to say that, like, you're not really a resident. You are. You're taken care of. Right. Uh, but but there's not even enough to go around on, on, on top of that. And... Right. uh I mean, I think that there's the the argument that this is not really a good faith effort to make an adequate replacement for for these residents who are being affected by the ordinance. Right. Um, you know, my, my cynical side would say that this is a good faith effort to provide political shielding and cover to a, uh, you know, what I would call egregiously <laughs> immoral action. Um, I mean, I guess it, uh, really, I mean, there's a lot, the people who are providing these safe lots, they're disproportionately uh, churches and other mm-hmm. people who feel like it's the right thing to do. And I think certainly, I think every marginal step helps, but mm-hmm. I think the city wants this to fix the problem. And that is mm-hmm. like just so either delusional or just cynical on its face mm-hmm. that they think that, you know, just asking for churches to, to house people is going to fix the problem of unaffordability that they are complicit with. That That is that is true. And uh, I, I think to that point as well, um, however, this safe parking uh, program uh, plays out, you know, personally right now, the way I'm looking at it, just based on uh, the the burden that needs to be overcome, you know, meeting the zoning requirements. Um, there's things like, um, you know, uh, these parking sites must have, you know, a bathroom, you know, like lights, um, you know, may not have electric generators, um, things of this nature, um, you know, which on a lot of levels are, are, are good things to require to have some kind of services. Um, but there's other, uh, you know, components to that, such as, um, you know, implementing a, a strict time frame during which people may park. Uh, you know, I, I think to to your point, I I haven't heard about it now being uh, nine nine p.m. or nine a.m. I, I, I saw one thing on ordinance, but they were talking till seven a.m. originally. R- right. Yeah. And and so I'll I'll go with that just because that's the um, last piece of confirmed information I have. You know, but the the initial uh, thought was that we'll have you know, secured so many or X quantity of spaces based on, um, you know, who or whoever uh, private uh, parking site owner uh, and land uh, meets the zoning requirements. Uh, you know, we might end up with, let's just say in the best case scenario, right? Let's just say we end up with 200 safe parking spots. Um, you know, then in, in that case, it is still uh, difficult for people to, uh you know, in, in the natural course of their lives, necessarily be in a parking site at 7 p.m. and have to leave at 7 a.m. Um, go where? 
that that's that's a that's a good question um you know people can't just evaporate yeah uh, but e- even in that case uh you know the idea here you know as stated is that uh the vehicle residents will be able to use their time uh and the services provided at these sites to transition into more stable housing situations um you know so on on the one hand if you're severely restricting the amount of time that someone can um you know maybe maybe they have a job that they could be accepting that doesn't let them leave before 8 p.m. right yeah. um or you know other just life situations um that that can make it very difficult for people to to use their own wherewithal to get into this transitionary housing or per, you know permanent housing situation and that, that's the, that's the rhetoric too which is like all these people need is you know a hand up for you know maybe a, a few days a few weeks and then they'll get into a better housing situation and i'm just saying the the tide of unaffordability isn't changing right. i think it's delusional to think that all they need is a temporary place to crash and then they'll find it uh, find it out uh, just to draw draw attention to i think i was re-listening the other day uh an episode of the show I had a friend on uh, who was living with his dad in an RV in, in Mountain View for 18 months before they got back on their feet uh, and in, into like, <laughs> you know, a place in East Palo Alto. Uh, just so much of your time goes into just dealing with the tedium and the just inconvenience of living that way. And this only makes it that much harder. Absolutely. Yeah. And to your point, um, and and it, it was kind of the the underlying uh, thing to be said. It's uh, you know the, these vehicle residents. Uh, where is the housing for them? Yeah, and like and and are they are they listening to what they need to help them out, or are they just doing like oh we think we can just design something that sounds helpful. Let's let's try to make this happen. I I think it's. It it yeah it doesn't seem like it really is giving people to the what they actually need right and and so that that that's I can appreciate the challenges of of you know wanting to strike a a middle ground between you know delivering the right amount of services um, versus you know no amount of services versus luxury services you know that I I guess what kind of strikes me a little bit right now um is that you know the, the most preeminent question in my mind uh is finding these these spots now and uh one of the things that uh was interesting at this last week's city council meeting uh is that uh Google is seeking council approval for uh as as far as my understanding goes an 800,000 uh square foot commercial development in the city of Mountain View and as part of this uh, process, uh, they are, you know, as far as my understanding uh, goes, required to provide some kind of community community benefit uh, to the city. And uh, one of our council members, you know, I think very uh, correctly and you know acutely uh, said to uh, or asked the Google representatives, uh, "Hey, you've got a lot of parking." Yeah. Like you, and, and, you have and, so much parking. And I saw this. They're talking especially about one thing which will not be developed for five years. So it is literally kind of just an empty parking. It space. is open land. And the city even said, like, oh, if we're about legal stuff, we'll have city legal services and liability take care of it. We just need the land. Mm-hmm. And they and they said no. Correct. And you know, I I I believe in in giving people 
organizations, entities, you know, the, the opportunity to, to do the right thing. And so, uh, you know, having said that, I, I was a little disheartened uh, during that discussion to just see an immediate and, and very, like, very almost um, aggressively firm, if you will. Um, you this, know, was, this was the real, from Google. The real estate representative Correct. from Google just kind of went down with a hard just, answer. No, we, we have are no not. interest. In, Correct. Yeah. L- let me make it abundantly clear. All this land that yeah. is currently open, we're not going to use it for that. And when the council member asked, can you tell us a little bit more about why? Yeah. Then, you know, it, it took two more times. The first time they said, for all the reasons that we've already mentioned. Uh, and then after just a little bit more cajoling, they said, and, and, you know, they said because of liability, risk, and security. Mm. And it it just is a little disheartening for me because you know who else is dealing with those challenges? All the other organizations or businesses or people who yeah. are willing to do the right thing as they see it and and, and participate in the safe parking program so it, it's not a problem unique to google but the difference is that they would have so many more resources to come to bear uh to to protect themselves from any one incident that may have come up and i mean to take a step back you could say on one hand we should hope that our you know, faceless, amoral corporations do the right thing and step up. I would say, you know, one step above this, it's kind of nutty that a city like Mountain View is not in charge of its own land and has to beg all these different landowners within its confines. Like, can you please help us out here? Can you please give us some land we can use for a few years because we're desperate for land? It's like, and I just, I mean, this is where I kind of I ideologically come up. It is important for a city to be able to control its own land in order to do things like pres- like make public housing situations. And I'd say that making a safe parking program, if a city was doing itself, this is a not, I guess, uh, high class, but it is a form of giving people a place to live. And mm-hmm. I think it should be considered one of the options of public housing. But if a city can't get the land to do it and has to beg... You're, it's a non-starter, fundamentally, and and I think that, you know, as far as my reading of the California law and and what the the police power in title cities to do is, they 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 definitely have the power and and huge discretion over land. Yeah. Um. I I, th- I think part of it it definitely is, uh, the the political will and and not falling into this um you know kind of sunk cost fallacy or even the the inertia of you know well this project's already so far along yeah you know let's let's just go for it let's keep doing it um because yeah you know th- there is a public crisis yeah and you know if the private sector does not have the uh, desire to to be a participant in that, then then the public sector. It, it is my belief that the public sector has a responsibility to look after the general welfare of its residents. Have people? I mean, I, I could, I've I've heard some in previous years in Palo Alto. I'm not sure uh, in Mountain View. There's been even discussion of eminent domain because I think things for like Caltrain, they're talking about eminent domain. And this for Palo Alto is so much of a political red flag that it said people freak out, they pull it back. Mm-hmm. And largely because for like how trying to be eminent domain of people living, you know, in, in houses, in some homeowners, and that's just like, because consider if you're a Prop 13, you know, titled homeowner and you're eminent domain, boy, like it's, I'd, I'd rather than that not happen. And there's kind of an explicit thing. The city 
That's that's who they serve. <laughs> and you know, you could say about eminent domain in different commercial entities and so on. But another issue, of course, is the fact that land costs are more expensive than ever. Do right. the cities have the active funds to buy stuff at market rate? Or do we need to do things like taxing land value in so far as the market price goes down and cities are able to acquire it at the rates they need? Uh, I, I would certainly say that's an avenue I <laughs> would support. Yeah, I, I, I think it's definitely an, an interesting thought. And I think, uh, you know, as as the crisis deepens and gets even worse than it already is, um, those are probably options that are going to come on the table. Uh, because, yeah, the, the, I, I have not heard any... Uh, discussion in Mountain View around eminent domain. Yeah, um, it, it's not a, a phrase that that gets uh, you know used a lot. But although um, look at what the, happened to RVs. Price. I mean, this right. is kind of a weird form of people who are holding onto land and it was taken from them. You know, through this, and that's that's what this is in a large sense. It's a reallocation of who gets the land in the city. Right. And Mountain View's decided RV dwellers, you're kind of squatting on land, but please get away. We're taking it back for mm-hmm. street parking and, and other stuff. Right. And, and, and it, it's, it's weird because, uh, you know, the, the city does need a, div- a diverse labor supply. Um, I, I was walking through Palo Alto the other day and I noticed that the prolific oven, uh, is shutting down. I never went in there, but, um, it looked like a very cute, uh, quaint place. And they had a letter saying that the cost of business, uh, is is just too high in this area now, uh, and, and a lot of that does come down to, and and this has been you know covered in in the local newspapers too. It, it's the the cost of hiring and retaining workers uh, and paying them, uh, you know, to be able to afford to live in the area is is just growing out of control. Um, so so it is affecting. Uh, I would call it you know a, a lot of. Um, I would call slow growth proponents, you know, speak a lot to, you know, neighborhood character or or city quality of life. You know, the things that we value, those quaint little places, um, you know, the the small businesses that you can't find anywhere else in the world, uh, you know, that isn't a chain like Starbucks or something. uh, Those are the places that depend on uh, a, a reliable and affordable source of unskilled labor. And the more that we push that away, you know, we can't have our cake and eat it too. Um, we, we, we definitely have to, to be cognizant of, you know, not sacrificing the long-term economic viability and sustainability of our region just because, you know, we don't want to look in the mirror and, and confront some serious, you know, like do some serious soul searching about how we got to this point and, and, and do some really hardcore moral um, reasoning and and make sure that our policies you know flow from from that moral from that moral reasoning. Well, you say they can't have their cake and eat it too, but at the same time, they say we don't want you know we don't want these consequences, but we are happy to uh, approve hundreds of thousands of more square feet for office growth and you know effectively create more housing scarcity as a result. And you can connect the dots and see what this is destined to mm-hmm. do and they're just going to keep on doing it forever right yeah yep and so you have the the dual shocks of increased productivity and you know tech, technology here in the area plus you know the 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 shock of an increased demand for skilled laborers um that's you know doing a one it's it's pushing our unskilled labor force away but also for for the unskilled labor that does remain two things are happening one interestingly enough they're 
marginal productivity increases. So as more unskilled workers leave an area, the unskilled workers that are left behind actually increase in in, in marginal productivity. And and if you want to think about that in in, in a and what that looks like in practice, um, at the Mountain View City Hall uh, during the RV vote. I was speaking to a woman who was uh, doing janitorial work in the city hall. That was the second job she had taken on that day. She she works two jobs. You know, she lives in Mountain View. She cleans the Mountain View City Hall. Yeah. She is doubled up with another family. And so why did her marginal productivity increase? Because she has two jobs now. She can't spend time seeing her kids and she has to live with another family in the same home. Yeah. And so, you know, those those are the impacts that we're talking about as the demand for, you know, this like high tech growth just continues is that we're we're creating an underbelly of 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 social issues. Well, I th- I think look at you you talk about increased desperation for finding people to do jobs, which means that you know, I think that it's very sticky, so it's not like it goes up as much as it should, but they can demand higher salaries. But do they really become richer in the end? No, they're they're fighting as hard as they can to continue to keep up with rent increases. Correct. Yeah. Because there's only so much uh, you know, wage that or hourly wage, I mean these these are hourly workers, right? They're not salaried yeah. workers. And there's only so much that a mom and pop restaurant or comic book store or even you know to be to be quite honest the 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 chains like starbucks there's there's only so much that they can afford to pay an hourly worker that it also becomes unfeasible for them to hire that labor well i mean draw the line of kind of maybe a job that was like eight dollars an hour you know 10 20 years ago is now you know up to 15 or 20 dollars an hour it's like oh 20 dollars an hour that's a good rate but at the same time the tech companies which are disproportionately Mm -hmm. taking up the bulk of housing units throughout this area have gone up to six figures for starting for absolutely everybody so I, I don't care for making twenty dollars an hour. Like that's not going to keep up with the overall upward trend of 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 rents that people can demand because that's what landlords do. They charge as much as they can get, right. and when salaries go up at the highest level, they can do big increases. You're, in, you're absolutely right. Unless you have things that actually stop this from happening. Nope, you're you're absolutely right. Yeah. Our, our our real incomes are decreasing as these housing costs continue to increase and the land value continues to increase and and, i mean let's go back to the referendum in a bit but i think it's Mm -hmm. worth mentioning uh what we're talking about the anti-displacement policies because if nothing happens what is kind of the path of least resistance the path of least resistance is you start evicting who do you evict the people who are most desperate who are cheapest to kind of kick out right. that are easiest to you know take the land and, and turn into a new form and you replace it with higher income workers that, and if you don't do anything about it that is what's going to happen which is disproportionately going to kick out low income renters replace them with high income mm-hmm. renters not necessarily even many more units total but it will just kind of be a one for one replacement of 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 poor with rich and that's mm-hmm. that's not great no, um, and and I think to your point, it's great. We're we're competing with with a, a few forces here, right? <laughs> One is you know individual interest, and uh, also especially short sighted interest for the developers and owners of this land. 
makes a whole lot of sense for them to cash out on their property yeah. and go buy an island somewhere and just you know wait for <laughs> whatever they want to wait for. Um, and you're talking about like, yeah, there's there's increased there's increased salaries, increased earning, but not really the same amount of increased wealth. Where is this sinking into? It's sinking into landowners, either you know, in, in, uh, imputed rents of people who are homeowners, or especially if you're a developer cashing out, you actually end up with liquid payouts. Yes, for all the free market people and like that come out and railing against rent control, it, it, we are transferring wealth directly to the pockets of the landed people. It yeah. it is it is a a, a huge transfer. Um, yeah, but and 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 yeah, it's like oh well, great they own. I mean, it's like they're not even working for it. They, no, yeah, it's like it's 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 gross. And I mean to talk about. Uh, you know, oh, how can you how can you evict people? State law, the Alice Act protects it, and it is explicitly on the books to protect the speculative earnings of landowners. It's, I mean, this is fundamentally what so much of our law and the overall way our cities run is to protect passive real estate investment. <laughs> yes, it's insane. Yes, to to any of uh, our state lawmakers who may be listening right now, uh, please. I beseech you, uh, do something about the Alice Act. <laughs> Get rid of it. Find a way. Um, it, it, it definitely is a big uh, impediment uh, to housing stability. Um, here's and, a, here's yep. a better Alice Act. Instead of that, how about the city is able to get the land and they can pay back their Prop 13 assessed value? You know, that's... That's, that, I think that'd be a more fair way to deal with the Ellis Act if a person really wants to get out of the landowning business. You know, mm-hmm. I don't think they deserve uh, every dollar they get to the highest bidder, but I think that they, you know, the city should be able to get it at some sort of rate, yeah. and that's a great way for a city to acquire land. Right, because because that's an interesting idea, and and to be honest, that there are ways to work around the Ellis Act. I I can respect. Again, in in my uh, neoliberal hat, e- economics hat, I can respect where uh, they were coming from in, in making sure that you know people who own something have rights to it. Um, but what what I'm thinking is, you know, a, a lot of the question is how can you uh, provide a, a a fair rate of return to landowners within the context of of anti displacement, uh, while at the same time uh, not forcing anyone to become a landlord. And there's there's a few ways of, of looking at it because you know if if we do want to maintain that diverse labor supply, um, then there's I think two things to do. One is to uh, really change the the way that we think about uh, the rights that we give to people who are at the butt end of of this redevelopment. Um, you know, people need to be able to have have rights uh, when their homes are being redeveloped. Um, and then also, uh, you know, really kind of looking at, you know, trying creative things with our zoning yeah. um, and, and, and really kind of taking it that way. Um, I know that uh, the Ellis the Act case law, I've heard that it's uh, pretty favorable towards, you know, the Ellis the Act rulings, if, if you will, in favor of landlords. But, um, you know, I, I think we have to we have to try and try and try. I mean, OK, so I've been talking about takings. If you're if you're a landowner and you get eminent domained. You actually get paid the market rate of of, of your land. Uh, so in many many places, if you are uh, if you are a tenant, you can just go away with the clothes on your back. Mountain View has 
some more. They have relocation programs. They have uh, Treo. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe just give some some details on what Treo uh, yeah. ends up get, getting people. Sure. So uh, the Treo uh, for the listeners uh, is an acronym. Uh, it stands for Tenant Relocation Assistance Ordinance. And what this does is, uh, as soon as a uh, developer um, opens an application or, or provides a notice of intent to, uh, you know, sell the property. Uh, I'm sorry, that's the current owner. Uh, provides a notice of intent to sell the property. Uh, then the residents uh, who uh, live in that property are n- notified by the city about uh, a cash payments that they are entitled to. Uh, based on you know a, a schedule of you know how many residents are living in the home, do they have children? Are they senior citizens uh, in in in, pr- in protected classes, etc. Is this tied in with Measure V rent control, or does this exist even for non uh, Measure V units? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the relocation ordinance is part of the zoning. Yeah. Um, the the just cause eviction protections, um, you know, which which are are more along the lines of you, know, you can't get evicted for. I don't know, having a loud meowing cat, uh, that that's within the uh, the rent control law. Yeah, you know? or just if your landlord doesn't like you, you right. know, it's like it's like it can't even be. It's a it's a wild west. They can just right. evict anybody. Right. Uh, so uh, and and talk yeah. And how much how much do you get? I mean, this is a means tested program, which is just. It, it, I mean, I hear all this. It's just sounds like so like and there's like a new program and the park spun up again means tested and i'd say there's two things that i react when i saw like the rock street evictions uh was that this year or last year uh it was december of 2017 if memory serves okay uh yeah so watching these evictions in in rock street and they're getting treo this is going to be means tested but it's very clear and everybody knows in the room this is not enough to keep them in their community they are going to get a payout, which can actually help with a relocation. Welcome to the Central Valley or something. Right. Uh, but I mean, there's really no nothing here saying like we want to keep you in Mountain View, and this is going to make it happen. That is clearly not really uh, what it's going to achieve, or even not the goal of it. It, it is not going to. Uh, I, I definitely feel comfortable saying that in in very rare cases will it achieve. Uh, a meaningful uh, retainer on on the ability of the evicted or displaced residents to to live in Mountain View, um, and and to that point, yeah, it, it, it's definitely, I mean, compared to the costs of having to pack up your life and move somewhere else, you know, the decrease in your potential health from breathing in. Uh, you know, particles over in, in, in Fresno or something. Um, or if yeah. you move to Manteca and drive two hours a day you know, each way, it's like that's just such a miserable addition to your life. Correct. And and let's just say here, it is also, if we care at all about climate change, we should say Correct. we're very complicit in making this happen with our inability to house more people. 1,000%. Yeah. There, there are many paradoxical... Uh, situations in our world, and I think um, at least in in the property and housing politics, that that's one of the. I mean, it connects, right? I, I, and and CEQA, the Environmental Quality Act, uh, does has nothing to say about stopping uh, just in, like increasing commutes. And I'd say I think it should have something to say. That that's a that's a great point. And you know, and just to speak to uh, the 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 point about the 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 trail. Um, 
one of the neat things that happened uh, out of the goal setting process. So for those who are not familiar uh, in the city of Mountain View, and, and I imagine this might be you know, the case in, in similar fashion for other cities as well. Uh, whenever a new council gets um, you know, brought in, uh, they take a period of three to four months around the beginning of that new term to lay out their priorities for uh, you know, the, that two year window of, of what that council wants to achieve. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, the uh, anti-displacement issue was unanimously confirmed by the city council as the top priority to to address. And that's that's good. You know, we we achieved having it be named the top issue in the city. However, uh, on the other side of that, uh, you, you know, one thing that I, I know. I myself personally, as well as several of, of, of my colleagues on the ground are, are, are looking at right now is, um, you know, what's going to be that policy prescription that comes out of that? And to to the point about the trail, just to circle it back, um, one of my concerns is that uh, the tenant relocation assistance ordinance, making modifications to that, whether that's increasing the amount of money that gets paid out um, or, you know, increasing the the kind of assistance that we provide to, you know, help people find home listings somewhere, um, whatever that may be, um, modifying the TREO is, in my opinion, the best possible solution for someone who wants to say they did something about displacement yeah. without actually doing something about displacement. It, it, it is a it's something you can point to. It is real payment to some people, it's mean tested, that you can say, okay, you know, we gave you a hand up, you know, it's it's on you to figure it out now. I would say real anti-displacement is about bridging the gap between the landed and the landless and the fact that the landless are just being squeezed here. And we're, I mean, and they're, and Treo is not even approaching that. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I, right. It's, it's, it's mitigating the impact of your having been displaced. Um, it is not preventing displacement. I've um, heard people say, like, just cynically be called, like, uh, an eviction penalty, which is like, okay, yeah, you're just kind of slapping the wrist of people evicted somebody, shame on you. But it isn't really about, you know, really reducing harm and, and changing things. It, exactly. And, it, that's precisely the point. And and if I may get on my high horse here uh, around anti-displacement policy for just for just a minute, um, I'll, I'll speak to personally what what I would advocate for, uh, you know, as 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 effective in in this in this issue. Um, number one uh, is providing to people. Well, let me take a step back. It's it, a lot of it has to do with the property, right? So one of the issues and, and things that comes up is uh, redevelopment projects in Mountain View uh, have, by and large, been affecting rent-controlled uh, rental housing uh, in, in the city, where you know it gets demolished, and you know whether or not the the new housing supply that comes in either reduces, you know, the uh, overall quantity of supply of housing in the city, or whether it increases. Um, you know, one of the things that is is due to the Ellis Act, um, a little bit murky here, is that uh, when someone purchases that property, uh, we have no power to tell them what, that they should create rental housing versus ownership. Sure. Uh, and and so you're seeing a lot of a lot of um, you know cases where rental housing will be demolished for ownership, luxury, townhomes, row homes, condos. Um, and so one of the things, 
that that I've been asking, uh, you know, uh, really the smartest people I can find. Um, and, and oddly enough, I still don't have a clear answer on, although I have some leads, uh, is, you know, moving forward in time, uh, these uh, redevelopments uh, have by and large been happening in what what's for Mountain View called the R3 zone, uh, which is kind of medium high density uh, residential. And so uh, here's a question. Uh, if we were to zone all R3 and R4, which is high density uh, in Mountain View, specifically for rental housing, right, for a certain kind of housing type, uh, then on the one end for the prop- current property owner, uh, you know, we're not going to reduce their ability to make a profit on, on, on the property because they can sell to whoever they want and get the market return for, for the current property. Well, which you would imagine if it's rental, it would be the capitalized value of future revenue streams and if it's rent stabilized, which it wouldn't be for new development, but be. let's say even if it was, you would still have a guaranteed rental stream going ahead, which they'd capitalize into one, uh, you know, you know, one capitalized value, and mm-hmm. that's 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 fair market value for whatever that is. Right, exactly. We're not going to prevent anyone, you know, in, in this scenario where we have full rental zoning, we're not preventing anyone from getting, you know, the the rate of return for their property. Right now, the question the question that I have is, you know, if I am a developer, um, you know, think of your favorite large developer, um, and I know going into my transaction or inquiry for 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 purchasing this property if i know ahead of time that this is specifically zoned for rental housing yeah then is i i in my opinion i don't see how it can be said that i was being forced into entering the rental market mm. because no one was forcing me to inquire about a property that has certain market conditions imposed on it Going into that, yeah. So, so you're talking about within the constraints of the LSAT we even have that the legal justifications would be thrown aside if you going into it would know that you are going to be getting, being a rental, you know, uh, owner for for perpetuity. I mean, that's that's a that's a really good point. I I, I saw I was reading uh, this is a uh, Jonathan Randolph, uh, another friend of the show, was was writing about different kind of uh, uh, you know schemes of 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 stopping, uh, I guess you know demos of of uh, of, of rent controlled units, and there was a California legal case saying that you could not stop conversions of of rental units to tenants in common, even though a place like SF could have a lot of kind of demo con- you know uh, for stopping conversions to condos. And it, I mean, I would only say like I am not a legal scholar. The law is very convoluted, very hard to understand what actually counts, what doesn't count, a lot of stuff like this. And, I mean, we're always kind of creating on the fly. I think maybe right. we should talk instead of looking for the right legal loopholes as much as, like, what do we want? Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, large scale, and this is something that, I mean, Council, uh, council Member McAllister goes on a lot. You know, he's, you know, a uh, small businessman himself, and he kind of just like, it's like, what should we do? You know, it's like... We would have affordable housing could build it up and do it. You know, in theory, the city could build it up and and do it. Uh, and this kind of introduces, you know, one model of something different would be something like Topa, mm-hmm. uh, which is I think a lot of people are optimistic of Topa could be uh, kind of a model of what can you do instead of having this weird. 
private rental market, which is regulated, mm-hmm. and you quote unquote force people to be landlords, mm-hmm. is you could allow a cooperative of, mm-hmm. of it. So, uh, uh, and any any kind of details or kind of your thoughts of on 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 a, on a topa scheme? Yeah. So, uh, for for listeners, um, topa stands for the tenant opportunity to purchase act or. or you know, it's also some places call it Copa like for something similar, right? Yeah, I, I like Topa. Yeah, just uh, <laughs> personally, it's the same thing. Community opportunity to purchase. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, just uh, whatever floats your, floats your boat on that one. But uh, the the idea here, um, and and I'll get into kind of um, a, a, a mental matrix that I, I've been trying to think through on, on these issues. Um, you know, just to be clear, I, I would take either of these. All right. Um, I I would be happy with either of these being implemented. I want to go much farther, but I think they are so. They're a good step to go towards. They're they're in the right direction. As opposed to, let me just say one thing. Like I think uh, the SF path historically has been the Calvin Welch path, which is uh, strict down zoning, create moratoriums, kind of you know freeze everything in place and just hope everything stays fine forever. Which I think is. Perhaps pragmatic in the short term, but it's burying your head in the sand, and I really am pessimistic that that is ever going to be a smart thing to do. Right. And I think SF in the 70s is a very different situation than right. the Mill Silicon Valley right now. I just say I think you need progressive options mm-hmm. as opposed to just saying, let's work within a private landlord system, mm-hmm. but down zone and somehow things mm-hmm. are going to be fine. Yeah, and and I think uh, that that's a very good point. And there's a couple reasons, or I, I would call it things to consider, right? Um, so just to make sure I, I, I provide some kind of description on, on what TOPA, uh, again, tenant opportunity to purchase is. Uh, it's basically, um, you know, in, in today's market, uh, me, a property owner, uh, say I, I have 20 rental units that I rent out uh, to families and, you know, I could be spending all my time, uh, you know, finding a buyer for the property and, and these families have no clue that I'm doing that, that I'm taking offers and bids and that, you know, within a short time frame, I'm, I will have sold off the, 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 the property they live on. Um, in, in, under a, a TOPA scheme, um, you know, what would happen is as soon as a uh, property owner has any intent to sell at all, uh, the very first people that they will have to notify will be their their tenants. Uh, and then from from there, what happens is, uh, you know, in cities that have such a, a, a program in place, the, the residents have a legally vested opportunity to organize and form a tenant union. And then uh, from there... Uh, you know, a, as a, a tenant union, a, a you know technically an individual entity that can be represented, you know, in in court, or, yeah, uh, they will have a an option on the the purchase of that property. Um, now, there's a lot of variations that you like flavors that you can kind of implement, but but the core concept here is that uh, if what the tenants can uh, muster in terms of their bid on on the property. And, and not because, you know, they're digging into their bank accounts or anything like that or asking like Uncle Sherm for money. Um, but really, it's, you know, they will have to go out and partner with uh, affordable housing developers, uh, maybe, um, you know, um, some community trusts or organizations. Um, basically, you know, working with with all this hodgepodge of, of you know, housing advocacy or, or funding sources, uh, they are able to submit a bid on that property and if the the bid matches the the highest bid 
which is going to be not just for, it's going to be the highest and best use. Like, it's whatever they can get, which is going to be, you know, substantially more than perhaps they're, you know, able to do at the current rents or whatever. So, like, they act, which which is a sign that, yeah, it's as you're saying, uh, they usually need help because right. if they scrape together their money, it's usually not enough for the tenants to actually buy it out. Usually, yeah. this is always in practice coupled with a, a city program to lend them money correct. and allow the, to, them to establish a cooperative or something. C- c- correct. Yeah, it, it could be you know state funding, county funding, city funding, um, you know a, a gift from the Silicon Valley Foundation. Yeah, like whoever they can go out and and partner with to to create this pool of money and then pres- package it as as a bid on their property. Yeah, if they can match the the highest bid from the market, then by law, the property will go to the tenants. Yeah, and so that avoids any kind of taking, yeah. um, and and as you noted, it, it does create this uh, almost kind of cooperative model uh, where where the residents um, or the tenants wouldn't necessarily, um, you know, own the home the same way that one of us may be able to buy a home and and, and sell it for profit. Yeah, every every property right is a bundle of rights, and insofar as the city can dictate what goes on here, as far right. as they are lending yes. money or other agents lend money, you can actually put terms on it saying this is for use and not for speculative profit. One thousand percent. Which yes. is which is generally. Uh, you know, a, a good thing if you're actually trying to prov- provide affordable housing, right. which is usually what this is trying to do to some extent. Absolutely. And so, you know, the the thing to like about the Topa again is that you're you're kind of avoiding all of this hairy issues with with the the Ellis Act. Um, it it means that residents w- theoretically wouldn't have to to leave the, the the property while it's getting redeveloped or anything. Um, but in terms of, you know, as far as the range of, of anti-displacement options go here, um, there's, you know, a, a mental matrix that I've been trying to uh, think through. And, and there's a couple things to consider. Um, one is, you know, standardized, repeatable outcomes. Um, the next is, you know, the, the, the burden of the policy, you know, does that fall on the developer or does that fall on the tenants? Um, so, in, in terms of you know the, this topa, um, you know, it, it is a heavy lift to ask for the tenants, right? On the one hand, a yeah, um, they're going to have to unionize, right? Uh, they're going to have to uh, you know, like go out and, and advocate for themselves in, in a way that touches on real estate law, um, you know, development, uh, economics. Uh, and so for, for a lot of these residents who may be not as well educated or have as much free time, um, because who knows how many jobs are working or, or, or for whatever per- reason, um, they're not the residents who are most predisposed to be able to, to successfully navigate these waters yeah. and, and produce the outcome that they want. So um, the other thing with Topa, again, is, you know, even in cases where you do have this engaged resident uh, union, um, you know, maybe four out of 10 times or six out of 10 times, you're going to get the the win, right? So so it's it's not going to create a is that just a, a, they a can't reliable scrape, outcome. They can't script enough enough money to 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 match in the end. Is that was that a reason for for failure or is other causes? That, that's that that's one of them. So you know, similar to how sometimes developers have projects cave for you know whatever minute mm-hmm. reason changes in the financials or whatever, they they would be subject to those same kinds of. Um, possibilities. And it's possible, like, yeah, if they 
misfile the right paperwork. Oh, you lost in a technicality. I can imagine if the, if there isn't generosity to this process, that could easily happen. Exactly. So so the the burden with TOPA is on the tenants, on the community groups and advocates uh, to make sure that all the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, and you know that they're organized and mobilized um, at their own time frame to to get into the process, which at the end of the day may not result in the you know pres- preservation of, of those homes. And, and listen, one more thing about burden yeah. uh, is keep in mind, big picture, the the landowner walks away with a large check for the highest and best use, and who ponied up for it? It is the community, and you know, and they what do they get? They get less than the highest and best use. So I mean, there is there's a burden on the community to basically pay for the landowner to get a windfall, which is correct. Not ideal. <laughs> not not ideal, right? Um, there's wrinkles to all of this, right? And and that's that's one option. I know Washington for anyone else interested. Uh, Oakland uh, has has an implementation they're that they're looking very at. Very new, I believe. One. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. I think SF was making progress on what they called COPA, um, and then Washington D.C. I think is 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 generally cited as the longstanding and and most. Um, well-known of, of these implementations. Now, uh, just to shift gears a little bit on, on the flip of this, um, you know, when, when I think about these this this burden issue and standardized repeatable outcomes, um, you know, one of the reasons why I really like uh, the the concept of um, you know zoning uh, for rental housing uh, and, and maybe even providing some kind of bonus or incentivization for increased in density um you know and 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 please uh, just bear with me everyone for 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 a hot second here um there's there's a way to produce repeat repeatable outcomes where the burden falls primarily on the developer and the private market to to preserve uh residencies i mean ostensibly that's what zoning is it is a it is a by right definition of what you're entitled to pr- pr- precisely yeah and and so um Here's here's a few um, you know things that it, in in my opinion um, and and I would love to hear feedback from anyone in the world on this um, because you know th- this is this is definitely a, hor- a, a, a thorny issue and I, I don't how, how do, to know how do people give you feedback if you want it uh, um, uh, that's interesting what what are well, we allowed to do I can end share of the my show email. I can give you contact yeah 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 sure um, you know uh, I'll I'll be more than happy to uh, share my email. Um, yeah, I'll, tweet, I'll, I'll tweet at the show and I'll yeah. pass it along. Okay, in any case. that sounds that sounds good. So here it is. Um, one is you got to give people a right of return uh, to for redevelopment. Um, so that means uh, for anyone who is evicted as a result of the redevelopment of the housing that they live on and or rent, uh, you know they are vested with a right to return to new rental housing that is built on that property. All right, that's step one. Uh, step two is zone for rental. That way the, 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 the residents who have a right of return have a place to return to uh, that, that is not uh, uh, you know, an ownership uh, luxury row home or townhome. And then the third side of that is, you know, knowing that we are in, in this housing crisis and desperately need an increase in housing supply, um, you know, create a, a, a no net loss policy that stipulates that uh, you must replace on a one for one ratio 
the uh, housing that is being demolished with affordable, deed-restricted, below-market-rate housing. And then from there, you can build as many market-rate units as, as, as you need to. Yes, it will result in tall buildings. Yeah. Uh, yes, the city will get dense. Um, but, you know, it, at least in my perspective, we're, we're a city. Yeah. We, we are a city. And I think, you know, in, in, in our uh, huge collective resistance uh, to, to, you know, be a city and look like a city, um, we're really harming, um, you know, you know uh, people who are vulnerable and we're really shooting ourselves in the foot here. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that's what I would prefer um, in, in order to make sure that the, the, the costs of, of doing this business fall on the developers and because it's a you know mandate from the city um it's it's going to be a standardized and repeatable process that developers know going into things that they have to adhere to yeah i i'd say i mean it's very interesting too because i mean i think if you talk about what is a large you know visionary idea of what can change i mean a very obvious one and, and a good one is say we should have social housing public housing everywhere maybe entirely but what do you do as long as we live in a world in which private rental housing is how things are delivered? These are all things you could put in place as soon as there is a political will exactly. without having to get the money and the public housing authorities and so on, uh, or even the land acquisition, which, I mean, obviously I'm a broken record about that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, right to return, rental zoning, and uh, no net loss, which, which ties into that. Uh, so... Okay, so one thing that comes to mind immediately is I I think you talk about kind of what are things in essence and what are things like in practice that people have issues with. Uh, SBA 27, one of the things threw in, which I think people were excited by, but I heard a lot of feedback, was right to return. And people have said like in practice, right to return in, in tenant orgs could have had bad experiences when you put right to return and implement it badly Mm -hmm. consider what it is it's saying if you're developing you need to basically keep people on at their own rents Mm -hmm. uh and for you know really forever Mm -hmm. and what is this to a developer this is a liability so Mm -hmm. you're putting a liability on their books Mm -hmm. so they have every incentive to ditch these people you Mm -hmm. can just make their life hell you can lose their paperwork Mm -hmm. so you there is going to be a heavy duty on the city to actually make sure that developers aren't going to just lose track of these people. You, you, you are fundamentally correct. And I think, you know, a, a bad policy is, is, is a bad policy. A poorly implemented policy is, is a poorly implemented policy. Um, if, if you write, yeah, I think to your point, the political will, if, if we had seven people on our city council who, you know, took it upon themselves to craft the best version of this policy that they possibly could. Yeah. Um, I, I, I fundamentally believe that, you know, we would be able to get it done and with proper yeah. oversight uh, so that it actually worked. Um, and the sooner we can uh, create this political change, yeah. um, then, you know, these like, quote unquote, big vision changes or unrealistic proposals or whatever, like they're not unrealistic. They're just lacking in in political will yeah to get them through i mean it's it's if you actually have the political will to i i think it's always a funny case to look at uh we're inside stanford university right now mm-hmm. stanford university 
uh, has kind of pseudo citizens, its students, uh, has pseudo property rights, which is or like your your rights as a resident, and they have essentially a right to return. I've been places where I've been in a dorm here. I was a grad student for 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 many years, uh, embarrassing amount of years. Uh, and if they tear down your dorm, they don't just say, "Hey, good luck, buddy." They actually give you a right to return to a different area, which means as of the moment you're kicked out, a room's ready for you. You show up. Everything is more or less coordinated. And they actually care about not displacing you right. because they want the students to stay on. Right. And what if a city in the same way said, we actually care about every resident and want you to stay within the city. Mm-hmm. They could very, if they actually wanted to, make sure that no one leaves the city. Mm-hmm. You just need the will and the actual action to do it. Right. Um, definitely uh, the the proper oversight mechanisms. Um, and, and to be to be totally, uh, you know, clear, um, you know, I, I, I would love developers. I, I, I'm not in a position where I either a want to demonize developers or, um, you know, like do away with them or anything. I, I think they have a role to play. I think that developers are in, in a weird way, like a manifestation, like, like human manifestations of. The market and and the market conditions and if <laughs> the, the, the 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 quote unquote best developers are the ones who are just a big money for a head and they just optimize and it's it's horrifying but I mean I think that it is our job to make sure they don't ruin people's lives right and and that comes from putting the proper policies in place to create the kind of market conditions that will result in a more equitable city um you know like to your point about developers you know having a possible incentive to 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 get rid of 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 the people um through whatever means um you know what about counter incentivizing them to build more units to build denser and market rate and you know as long as you know they they play by the rules they can make a profit you know, I, I I'm not opposed to developers making a profit, at least within you know I, ha- I have I have views on capitalism and such, but you know in this narrow, you know, uh, kind of universe uh, that that I, I'm talking about right now, I don't have a problem with developers making a profit or a ton of profit, as long as they're not creating a negative externality. You know that results in more RVs on the street, uh, the loss of our diverse labor supply, and to be honest, that- <laughs> you're making a hard pitch for the neo libs here of framing everything like that. But yeah, it's a, it's like that's I, the least you can do. It, it, exactly, because because I'm trying I'm trying to be a little pragmatic uh, in, in things. You know, I I, I think that it, it's incumbent on our elected officials to like if if which I believe the elected officials in Mountain View are not going to get up tomorrow and start, you know, the, the, the communist revolution. Yeah. You know, if, if they do actually care about equity, sustainability, um, and all these things, then they would be crafting the kinds of policies to, to, to push the market, nudge it ever so slightly in a certain direction. And that's all I'm getting at is, yeah. you, you, you know, that there are levers, levers, I don't know how you pronounce that word, to, to, to pull and push here, that can produce more equitable outcomes, but the the action has not been there, um, and I think we need to make sure we, we we change that. Well, I think it's it's always interesting to note 
what are the different levers? I, I say levers. <laughs> I just got to think it's yeah. stupid, honestly. Uh, what are the levers and what, uh, and what do they do? For example, public housing. Public housing is, I think, a very good tool, but look at a place like Singapore or Hong Kong. Uh, Singapore especially does a great job in creating markets for public housing and making sure that if you are a citizen of Singapore, you can have public housing in six weeks. Mm-hmm. Great. Okay. All cake. Everything's great. But, and here's what I'm getting at, what if you're not a citizen in Singapore? Then it's like, well, tough luck, buddy. We are not looking out for you right. and you are left to the private market and they are having a miserable existence because there's a two classes of citizenship. Right. And I think no matter what, whether it is public, private, you know, no matter how you're administering it, you need to ask the big questions. Who are you looking out for right. and how? And a big, if you're looking for, if it is, you are looking out for homeowners. You're looking out for homeowners and current renters. You're looking for homeowners, current renters, but only only if you're a citizen of the United States. You can look out for everybody who is a citizen or an undocumented immigrant in the area. Mm-hmm. You could also look out for someone who shows up on their first day. They could walk into the city. Do you house them or do you say, sorry, buddy, we're full. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. I personally believe that the only moral thing to do is someone could show up in your city with clothes in their back. And the very first day, you have a moral obligation to house them. And that's a very different world than the world we live in right now. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Yeah. and uh, But you have to vision these things and you have to decide what you want. And I'm very, I mean, I think that there's a lot of uh, potential. But if you say like, okay, you know, we have classes of incumbents and, and citizens and so on that you're caring for. It's dangerous to say that everybody else is just tough luck, mm-hmm. and I, that's that that's always worrisome to me. Mm-hmm. But I, I also, I mean, to go back to the idea of what are different classes of solutions for anti-displacement, mm-hmm. and what I guess what kind of flexibility they have. I think if you talk about the Calvin Wall solution of downzone mm-hmm. and and end of story, it's entirely inflexible. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Because I, I, I'm uh, not totally familiar. He's been with... the guru of affordable housing in San Francisco since the late 60s, mm. and uh, he pushed for ma- massive downzonings of the Haight-Ashbury uh, in like the early 70s uh, as a way to at once provide stability for renters and also increase property values for, for, mm. for people who own property there. It's like yeah. everyone can win. And that's been uh, that's a very stable constituency if you can get... We're going to protect renters to some extent and then also give homeowners the stability and lack of change they want. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very bad mm-hmm. <laughs> equilibrium as mm-hmm. opposed to actually being able to accommodate change. Uh, if you talk about Topa, Copa, that's, I think, a very good way to create more cooperatives. Uh, they're usually about preservation and not about growth. Right. That's great. You need preservation. Not everything's about growth, but mm-hmm. you need to make sure they both work. Right to return is a way to accommodate lack of displacement within a growth paradigm. Correct. That's very promising, I would say. Right. That's that's yeah. That's that's my big point here. Yeah, and and to your point about if someone shows up at you know the welcome to Mountain View sign, yeah, and says, "I need housing. I'm wearing a, a sack of potatoes. Yeah, but, you know, and I ate all the potatoes. Uh, I have nothing. You know, and if we're gonna be able to meet our moral duty in that scenario to this person, then we need to have the housing. And, you know, housing supply is, you know, a, a lot of things depend on, on the uh, elasticity of housing supply and, and how, how, you know, right now, 
the supply of housing is not responsive to the to the amount of demand. Like we all we all know that by by design, precisely it, that precisely. And so you know the 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 thing with preservation again, you know, it's a good story. Um, you know, it's it, it's a way to bring people together and band together and, and kind of win. And I'm not in any way like uh, opposed to this. I mean, compare the SF story over the last you know forty fifty years to the Peninsula story. The you know. They have both failed to produce enough housing, but the peninsula had orders of magnitude more displacement. Right. So you got to give SF a hand. They right. did something which actually uh, did something to keep more people in place. Because I mean, we're right. only catching up with renter protections down here. Super much. No, I. Yes, uh, it, it's 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 interesting. Um, kind of what, how, how far, and and the legacy of the kind of things that happened in the seventies. You know what what it looks like today. Um, but I think the peninsula definitely, you know, we're, we're starting to hit that point where, um, how can I put it, the the rubber meets the road on us being a, a, a large agglomeration, economically speaking, but also, you know, there's a lot of um, people trying to come into the city and, and you know, there's a lot of, of, of population growth pressure um, uh, bubbling. And, and quite frankly, we need the housing. Yeah. Uh, we, we just need the housing and we need to grow. And if you're some, some guy in Fresno who says, I can get better jobs in Mountain View, I'd say we should invite that guy to come here. I mean, I don't care if, you, you know, if you're a construction worker or a tech guy, we should have room for people you know, and yet, see, even if it is some like lazy guy who just wants a game, I'd say, yeah, I think it's wrong to say we're we're fold any kind of thing. You know, I'd say, uh, but in any case, we're only making room for just enough tech workers to kind of keep everybody happy enough. You get that that that, that equilibrium of keep traffic, <laughs> right. keep traffic and parking fine, right. and keep uh, the you know the tech companies happy. You know, right? Yeah, and, and parking and traffic is, is is a little outside the scope of this discussion. Yeah. I have thoughts about the bullet train in Fresno and all that stuff. Um, but uh, <laughs> you have to come back and talk more about that. Yeah, bullet train. That's my favorite. Um, but you know, I, I guess one thing I, I just um, you know want to like touch on, um, if not, you know, as as we near the end of the conversation, is you know that what. Whatever models, uh, you know, we we are able to win and and keep pushing forward. Um, it, it's unfortunate when when Cupertino, whenever whenever people in Cupertino uh, come out and successfully kill housing projects, that hurts Mountain View. Whenever Palo Alto. Uh, you know, takes five years. I think I read this in in in, in a in a Daily Post article. So um, anyway, uh, whenever Palo Alto takes five years to approve the same amount of housing that Mountain View does in a two-hour city council meeting, yeah, that hurts Mountain View. Yeah, and 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 while I I'm very sympathetic to to your uh, perspective, like extremely sympathetic to the to the perspective <laughs> of hey, you know, if if you um, show up here, we will find a place for housing for you. Yeah. You know, like, I, I, I do not believe that it is fair uh, that a city like Mountain View will, you know, take on, and, and I don't mean it a, a burden as in, like, you know, having to welcome people, but, like, the economic burden of, of producing this new housing. Um, I, I believe that the, the drive to create new housing, density, height, that has to be exported to Los Altos, to Palo Alto. Yeah. And, no, I, and, I mean, yeah. I, I, I am harder on Mountain View because I know they're capable of more, and they actually have something 
bubbling up towards an actual will to implement good things. I think there could be very good things in this anti-displacement plan that they're that they're looking at. But like Palo Alto, they are just craven and evil, <laughs> like fundamentally. And I think that there is really nothing good that can happen from inside. And it's really for the rest of the state uh, to just take them to task. That's my yeah. cynical view of that. Yeah. So if I if I seem like I'm harder on Mountain View, yeah. I very much am. No, and 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 and, and well, that's interesting. I, I definitely wasn't feeling uh, that you, you were being particularly hard on Mountain View. Um, you know, I I know I myself. You know, within the context, weirdly enough, um, you know, I, I would consider myself someone that. Um, yeah, I don't know how to put this like gently, but uh, like I guess pushes the discussion on, on policy, e- even against our current council members who moving you know, the Overton window. It, 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 precisely yeah. right because uh, within the greater context of the Bay Area, you know, um, you know, elected officials come over and they're like, "Wow, Mountain View, you guys are doing great things," and and that's true, we are. But you know, to your point, yeah, we have the potential to do more, and you know, that also means that. You know, I, I find it to be the responsibility of our elected officials. And I know there's avenues like ABAG and, and other places that this happens. Um, but I, I find that it is the responsibility of elected officials, in this case in Mountain View, to make sure that they're doing everything that they can to genuinely push, you know, whether it's in private or in public, on the neighboring cities around us to break that inertia. I, I do not take it. As a you know like oh well you know Palto they're just always going to be bad and yeah. and all that like no I I I find that unacceptable and I'm not saying I'm I'm not saying that you were necessarily advocating for this view but you know like for me personally I find that unacceptable and I find that you know um in in any way that I can uh, or that anyone would like to uh, support. Uh, others uh, on the ground in these cities is that we we have to identify leaders and and push them up the ranks too yeah. and get them into positions of power so that they can they can push these changes. I mean my my goal is really I think Mountain View uh is the superior to Palo Alto. You should annex Palo Alto and uh, and show it like uh, uh, yeah, what a, what a better city is. And then, I mean, I think Silicon Valley is the weirdest place in the United States right now as far as housing goes. And I think there's a lot of potential to take that weirdness and move it to someplace innovative and actually humane. And I think Mountain View is the biggest potential for stuff something that's really good to happen. Absolutely. I mean, you look around, it's it's demoralizing to see all of this displacement and just desperation, but there's also you could transform that so easily into real action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fundamentally, Spe- I, I 100% agree. <laughs> so speaking of action, uh, so what's going on with the referendum? Yeah, uh, uh, definitely. Uh, the referendum, uh, I would say it's in the uh, being uh, concocted uh, state. Um, we have a, a window before what, what is called the second reading for the uh, vehicle resident ban. Um, you know, that's going to come, I think, late October. If, if memory serves, October 22nd, 22nd, but I don't know if they've changed that. Okay. Well, we, we said it yeah. uh, at the same time, so I'm just going to go so ahead. It's real. Yeah, it's real. Um, that, that's how, that's how things work. Um, so October 22nd, if anyone is so inclined, uh, you can always go to mountainview.gov and, and, and kind of check that up yourself. But, um, you know, we're, we're working with citizens on the ground, um, and you know, legal uh, people, uh, lawyers, I think uh, is what we, we call them, and we're putting the 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 ballot or the referendum language together, uh, and really just gearing up to get on the street and 
collect signatures. You know that that's really where we're at. It's yeah. it's the grassroots. We're gonna take it to the streets and and push action on the ground in one to one engagements. Yeah. So I mean the uh, the narrow streets ban would not come into place until next July. But if a referendum is put into place. Then it would actually go before the voters, and there is a chance that this could be effectively annulled before the council can make its decision. Correct. So um, if if we are successful in collecting the signatures to put something on a ballot, um, I think at this point it, it's not feasible to think or, you know, it, it, it doesn't seem feasible to me right now that if, if we today collected all the signatures that we would be able to place on, on the March ballot, on yeah. the one hand, um, you know, or strategically, it might not make sense too. But yeah, uh, b- big big election note next correct. November. Correct. Yeah. Correct. You are totally, absolutely correct on that. But you know, um, to that point, uh, due to these logistical and potentially strategic reasons, uh, putting something on the November ballot, that referendum will actually annul the or delay, I would say, the implementation of the ban until the referendum vote has taken place. Yeah. Uh, also, one, one other thing, I don't know if you want to talk about, but uh, Gamma Way, uh, mm-hmm. want to talk about the new tenant union there and what's going on, or is that uh, a bit too early to kind of really have a finger on what's going on? Yeah, I, I would definitely just say, um, you know, without getting into specifics about, uh, you know, like the, the, the people or the tactics or, or, you know, any of that other stuff on the ground, um, you know, I, I would just say that uh, this is just the next battlefront on, on this displacement issue. Um, you know, it's it's a little cul-de-sac street uh, tucked away in, in the Hispanic, uh, primarily Hispanic uh, section of the city. Um, and the residents, you know, for, for a while have been just seeing the notice of development signs go up on their street. And, um, you know, you know one, one thing that does uh, give me some uh, reason to hope is that uh, you know the, these residents, who I think some people would either classify as like, or I don't, I don't know about classify, but just literally speaking, you know, they they, they don't have high educational attainment. Um, you know, they they work low wage jobs. You know, um, the the vulnerable populations, right? Um, when given the chance for them to to ask questions about or come to understanding about what the redevelopment process is, what options are available to them within the current uh, framework of, 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 of rights that they have, and also the kinds of you know, policy prescriptions that we were just talking about, they get it. Yeah. Um, and, and so as long as people have that chance to, to have the information presented in front of them, then they're able to advocate on their own behalf in a successful way and come to decisions. And, you know, this last Tuesday, you know, as, as was, um, you know, cited on, on the Palo Alto Daily Post front page, I believe on Wednesday, um, you know, the, the, the residents, they happen to organize themselves and head on over to the city council meeting and, and let them know, hey, you know, we, we live here. Yeah. We like to live here. Yeah. We're next on this uh, rolling assembly line of, of d- displacement. And please please use your power to help us. Yeah. Well, one thing I always think is, I think, good, but also should offer us maybe some uh, some more, I guess, chastisement or, or, or warning is the fact so often we create collective action only when it's absolutely necessary, a last-minute ditch, 
the best time to create collective action is when you actually hold leverage and power and when you can actually make sure that you're in a good position to leverage it. But it's, I think it's never too late to do something, but it's especially a good time before it's too late <laughs> to start doing stuff. I could not agree more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's sad sometimes. Like you see, it's like the only time people actually get, you know, is when there's really something truly scary happening right. you know, up the pipe. And it's, you know, if you don't see it yet, it could be coming later. So, right. so be forewarned. Uh, as far as uh, contact or just kind of if, if people want to know more, become involved, Cafecito or Housing Justice Coalition? Yeah. So uh, in terms of contact, I, I did find that email address. Uh, you can, uh, anyone interested in, in providing feedback on uh, any of the policy issues or, 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 or proposals for solutions, um, you can feel free to email and displacement m v so that's and displacement m like mother or m like mountain <laughs> v like view even better um, yeah and displacement mv at pm dot m e so that's a proton mail dot me and displacement mv at pm dot me okay and uh and this and the the staff has come back from Mountain View uh, with with a study session on anti displacement in is that November? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, uh, coming up. That's that's coming up soon. So um, anyone who wants to come out uh, and and support that again, feel free to email. Uh, I'll let you know what date and time that is, and happy to get anyone plugged in. Yeah, and, and I, I enjoyed the discussion of the mental matrix. I'd love to see that on on, on paper. It's even more official. I totally <laughs> agree. <laughs> cool. Well, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We have been hearing from Alex Nunez of Cafecito and the Housing Justice Coalition all about RV bans, anti-displacement policy, and other actions in Mountain View. To hear this episode and all others, see thecat.org. This is a presentation of Case Issue Stanford.